Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I feel like that should be gangster singular. Yeah, I mean, one of us is clearly a gangster having three times fought for a UFC championship. One of us, I think almost anybody who listens to this podcast would, would say is not a gangster. Uh, it's Monday, December 3rd. Thank you, buddy. 2018, episode 182. Sounds like a lot at the Anakin Florian podcast. Happy Hanukkah to all you Jews out there, present company included, kid. Uh, I know 23andMe told you part, part, part Ashkenazi Jew, right? Ashkenazi, yeah, that's right. Believe that. I'm in the so, band. Uh, so red-eye to the East Coast last night for Kenny Florian. Just an absolute animal. Post-fight show, <laughs> baby at home. And you're in Washington, D.C., helping uh, your good buddy Ryan Hall prepare for a familiar foe. I am. Uh, I am sorry about the swollen and disgusting face <laughs> right now. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm tired as hell. But I'm here. I'm here. I'm doing the podcast. Uh, no other place I'd rather be. And yeah, get uh, just helping Ryan uh, get ready for uh, his big fight against the legend BJ Penn at the end of this month. And um, he's got a bunch of people out here already. And um, uh, I'm going to meet him at the gym right after this. So excited to be here. So you hit that red eye. I mean, that's not Ryan Hall picking you up early in the morning, right? He sends a car or <laughs> take an Uber or something, right? I was I in mean, the Uber. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Just making sure. A big fight for Ryan Hall. He doesn't need to be making airport runs. That's right. Uh, so last 100%. night was the first night of Hanukkah. Actually, we went out and got our Christmas tree. So not I was not a great Jew, but we did we did sing the, the blessing uh, over the candles. I, I had to Google it, Flo. I was a little rusty. I want to get it right. I wrote out the phonetics for, for my, my eldest daughter, Riley. But, uh, yeah, man, I had to Google it. I couldn't remember it. I wasn't sure. So I uh, shook the rust off. But a lot of Christmas in this household. You know, my wife is Polish Catholic, so so we're doing both. But happy Hanukkah to everybody out there. 
I don't know how you handled this combat sports weekend, but for me, it was overloaded, not even necessarily in a good way. You had 25 singular UFC fights. Boxing was the big story, obviously, with Deontay Wilder and and Tyson Fury. You parlay that with three children, and I... I did not watch the boxing yet, so we'll lean on you for that. I probably watched like 19 of the 25 UFC fights. We're not all the way there yet. Uh, How did you handle the overload over the weekend? Well, you know, for me, obviously, I had a great excuse. I was already at Fox, so we had all the fights going on. I obviously worked both UFC shows, and uh, but we were lucky that we had the boxing match going on at the exact same time. So I was watching it on, you know, two different screens, kind of going back and forth, trying to stay focused. But uh, it was fun, man. It was fun. That, that boxing match was unbelievable. Um, a lot of drama, obviously, late in the match. Um, and, and it kind of went down the way I thought it was uh, with Deontay yeah. Wilder, you know, being the heavy hitter. Uh, but the fact that he came in weighing 212 pounds concerned me a little bit. Um, you know, uh, going against a legit massive heavyweight in Tyson Fury. Um, I thought it was going to give him problems, but the guy still has insane power. Uh, Fury coming back from the dead late in the fight. Um, you know, I, I also thought it was um, a, a clear win for Tyson Fury. One judge had it, I think, 115-111 for Deontay Wilder. And I just, I don't understand. You know, listen, we've had our controversial fights in the past for for big championship fights, but those are few and far between. Like, you know, someone was like, oh, you had controversial decisions in mixed martial arts as well. And I was like, name a recent mixed martial arts fight uh, that was for the title that was really controversial. And the closest anyone can come come up with was uh, home Durandamy. And that was kind of a, a little while ago. And I mean, was it that controversial? Was it Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder controversial? Absolutely not. But these things are happening consistently in boxing would you say robbery is too strong a word uh in terms of it ending in a draw i know you thought tyson fury won everything that i can read and from every highlight that i've been able to glean which i guess amounts to not too much it was a 10-8 for tyson fury courtesy of the knockdown in round 12 there were some close rounds in there but most scorecards at least from the masses the media the fans seem to give tyson fury those close rounds he landed i guess 13 more punches overall so the punch numbers if you care about those were pretty tight Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, listen, it, it wasn't um, a complete robbery, but I thought it was going to be a clear decision to win. Deontay Wilder, I thought, had uh, two 10-8 rounds um, uh, during the fight. You know, maybe he had another round uh, in there, but I thought Tyson Fury was controlling, was staying busy here, was establishing his jab. Uh, Deontay Wilder was throwing a lot of maybe impressive-looking punches, but they really weren't landing. Uh, so... Again, it's confusing judging boxing, uh, and they just it just continues to be controversial. So uh, I don't know. They got to do something about it. I love hearing you say that you're trying to stay focused, right? You got the UFC Adelaide fights that you have to go on television to talk about, but boxing right. is so rarely the biggest story in sports. And I say that with respect to college football over the weekend, but when boxing mm-hmm. is the biggest story in sports two or three times a year, it captivates the masses in a, in a really special way. So it's okay that you were cheating on UFC Adelaide a little bit, Ken Flo. I know every every ounce of that boxing match that you were able to watch, uh, you took in, and that's okay. The check's in the mail. <laughs> that's right. I, I listen, I was I just like watching good fights, and uh, yeah, we had yeah, a bunch of yeah. them over the weekend. And you yeah. watched 25 UFC fights. You're doing like weigh-in show for one event, followed by a pre-fight show for the next event. 
Thankfully, I've been on the road when that has happened and I've never been in that situation. I mean, you want to expose me, have me do something like that where we got two UFC <laughs> events and you're doing the weigh-in for one, the pre-fight show for another. Um, I'll screw that up royally. All right, so let's lead with this Adelaide Australia show, Ken Flo, because I thought it was a great fight card on paper and I thought it was a great fight card as it played out, even though I didn't watch it live. Uh, Junior Dos Santos in the main event, 20th professional win for him. You called for a second-round TKO for JDS. That's exactly the way it played out. He gets his first two-fight winning streak since 2012. Guy is so easy to root for. Uh, And as he said after the fight, Kenny, he's got knockout power. He said there was a time in this fight where he realized he kind of just had to go for broke, went for it, got the desired result, and Junior Dos Santos very much still relevant here uh, as we close the book on 2018 for him. Listen, I was, I was really happy uh, for Junior. Uh, I, I thought that he was in trouble a, a couple times in that fight. I thought Ty Tuivasa was doing exactly what he needed to do in that fight. That was, number one, get off to a good start, put a lot of pressure on him early, um, back him up against the fence. Again, that's where you kind of beat Junior DeSantos, right? You take away his ability to uh, move and create in there and, and throw varied punches. Uh, and he was doing everything right. He was getting in on the inside of that reach. He was landing short shots on the inside, both to the body and upstairs. And it looked like Junior DeSantos was perhaps on his way to losing that fight. But he did a good job of adjusting. Um, his chin was holding up against a very heavy hitter in Tuivasa. Uh, and ultimately, he was able to get off at an angle and land a huge shot on Tuivasa that he just didn't see coming. He followed up with another one from a blind spot and was able to uh, follow him up to the ground and get that TKO win. Uh, Very impressive uh, for JDS. And certainly if you read into what he said after the fact, just in terms of going for broke, lower half was a little bit compromised in terms of the movement. He was willing to get knocked out. And and it's not that he underestimated Tai Tuivasa, but having been in there with him, it seemed like Junior really gained a lot of respect for for the power and maybe the athlete that was coming back to him. And I think Tai Tuivasa is a big story in all of this, and I, I think his future is bright. I think he's very long on potential, while also understanding that he's a developing fighter. But, Kenny, the narrative in this heavyweight division just can change on a dime, right? If JDS's chin doesn't hold up to one of those early shots, we're talking about a still undefeated Tai Tuivasa who just knocked out the former UFC heavyweight champion. So I'm not sitting here trying to anoint Tui Vasa. I think there's a lot of work to be done, as you guys well articulated on the post-fight show. But, man, it's a game of inches, and, and Tui Vasa nearly had JDS out of there. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and listen, I, I think there's a lot of things that he's going to look back at uh, in that fight and say, I need to adjust this, adjust that. Um, you know, clearly the ground game is a big weakness for him moving forward. He's going to have to really work hard on his wrestling uh, and on his ground game, especially if he does get taken down because – Again, anytime you get exposed like that, the whole division is watching. All the coaches are watching, and, and they're making notes, and they're taking note right. of it for uh, future fights. So yeah, he's going to have to definitely fill in that, fill in that weakness. <clears throat> I think in terms of the non-fighting stuff, in terms of his charisma, and he already has a following in a place that you know as well as anybody – absolutely loves mixed martial arts. I can't overstate that, right? In terms of Tai Tuivasa, his ability to appeal to the masses, he's a smart guy. He has the comedy thing going as well. I mean, there's no reason he couldn't have a bigger fan base one day than someone like Robert Whitaker, who obviously is the UFC middleweight champion and showing no signs of slowing down. Um, But again, a lot of work is going to have to be done to shore up some of those weaknesses. Uh, In terms of the mount escape, right? I mean, 
how much of that is is cardio, right? Because some of these guys they get mounted, and I, JDS had some success from from side mount as well. But what would you have liked to see Tuivasa do differently, or and and was part of it just that there wasn't much gas left in the tank? You know, I I don't think it was a case of of have having uh, gas or not. I think that on a technical level. Anytime you see a guy who's trying to strike off of his back, that's probably not a good sign. Um, you know, it, it kind of looked like he was just like, screw it. I'm just going to try to hurt him from, the, from that mount position and, and see what happens. He wasn't trying to shrink and push uh, on the knee and trying to escape back to a guard position. He wasn't trying to oopa and roll, which is that bridge escape. Um, he was just stuck there just trading uh, and when you're trading and you're mounted that is not a good thing it, it shows a lack of experience and knowledge so again Taito Ivasa is a young fighter um, he has a ton of potential and he will be back stronger from this but on a technical level he should have been working on those knees and legs of Junior DeSantos uh, at, at least trying to get back to a guard position where he could either kind of hold them and secure them a little bit better control them with his legs or look for a place to try to get back to his feet since he was pretty close, um, you know, to, to the fence from there. All right. Well, you can count me among those excited to see where Ty Tuivasa goes from here. And maybe the Justin Willis fight that he's looking for is something that gets made, you know, in the next four to five months. That was what Willis said his timeline would be for return. We'll get to him time permitting. But in terms of, of who is next for Junior Dos Santos, he wants this Alistair Overeem rematch. Francis Ngannou, I think is the name that comes to mind for a lot of people, Kenny. You know, this was a fight that was to happen at UFC 215, September of 2017. That was when JDS was flagged for that USADA violation. So that's why Ngannou says, you know, he owes me one. And it's the fresh matchup, right? I mean, more often than not, when you have two fights, I'm in favor of the fresh matchup. What do you think for Dos Santos? You think it'll be over him? You think it'll be Ngannou or somebody that I'm forgetting? Uh, listen, I, I don't have a problem with either of those. I, myself, I would prefer to see the Ngannou fight. I, I think if he goes out there and he beats someone like Ngannou, I, I think he's back into that title conversation. Um, you know, I, I would also uh, think that he could do a lot better against Overeem than he did the first time around. I, I think the yeah. fact that Overeem really kind of avoided him for a long time, then kind of, uh, you know, got him frustrated a little bit. I, I think he could do way better in a rematch. I think that would yeah. be interesting. Um, so, yeah, I like both of them. And I think for Dos Santos, maybe wise to to call for the Overeem fight. I, I think it's a better matchup for him. I think JDS would maybe be a slight underdog against Francis Ngannou. I think he'd be the betting favorite in a rematch against Alistair Overeem. So perhaps some strategy there. Perhaps I'm reading too much into it. But a big win for Junior Dos Santos. And if you know the man... Even if you don't, all you have to do is see him smile, and you can understand why so many of us feel good for him and, and are happy to uh, to root for him. Speaking of which, how about Mauricio Shogun Hua, right? I mean, can you have any more respect for a human being and a fighter than you have for that guy? I mean, just was not going to be denied. I mean, Tyson Pedro had some big moments early on in this fight, uppercuts that would have felled lesser men, but... Shogun, who is a Hall of Famer for a reason and uh, came up large on a big stage yet again as he comes through as, you know, plus 300 underdog here this weekend, Ken Flo. Pretty good stuff out of uh, Shogun Hua there down under. It, it was great to see and, and kind of similar to Junior Santos. He was early in that fight. I thought Tyson Pedro made a big mistake when he had him hurt. He decided to look for that single leg takedown right. and that allowed Shogun Hua to recover. Uh, and from there, uh, the veteran started to adjust, actually started bringing the fight down to the ground himself. 
got that top position and really was exposing Tyson Pedro on the ground. And Tyson does have uh, a couple good submissions, uh, submission wins uh, on his record, right. but he is not at the level of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt uh, Shogun Hua. Um, he was just getting the better positionally uh, on the, uh, the getting the better of Tyson Pedro positionally on the ground, landing big shots. Um, and yeah, I, I thought he had just really that fight as well. Um, and for Tyson Pedro, um, he's going to have to look at this fight and, and see what he did wrong and, and make those adjustments. Uh, again, he's another young fighter uh, that has a lot of potential. But for Shogun, um, it was a huge win for him, man. Great, great to see a good guy in Shogun who and a legend, a true legend of the sport. Get a win. And interesting to hear him reference the grappling at the end of that first round on the post-fight show. He felt like he sort of felt Tyson Pedro buckle a little bit and maybe lose some gas. The finish didn't come until round three, but Shogun Hua leaning on the veteran chops this weekend. And once again, relevant in a division that is wide open, right? I mean, not to say that Shogun Hua, and he was the first to acknowledge he's not near that title picture, but... You know, Tyson Pedro is a guy pretty highly thought of. I know he's lost a couple fights here recently, but that's a huge win for Shogun Hua. And a week ago, we sat here and sort of felt like that betting line was just hugely pronounced. And I understand Vegas is trying to get two-way action, but Tyson Pedro get got a lot of respect from Vegas, at least with that opening number, and uh, and he did not cash this weekend. And big picture, Kenny, just a disappointing weekend for, for the Aussies, the, the triple threat here at the top of the card, tied to Ibasa, Tyson Pedro, Mark Hunt, none of them able to win. And it seems like, I mean, say what you want about certain things, grappling versus striking, but as a team, they seem to put in the right work, or at the very least, a lot of it, and did not at all get what they were looking for this weekend. Um, overall, a, a disappointing night, but especially so for Pedro, who the odds maker said was supposed to really take care of business here in this one. Yeah, no doubt, and, and uh, it, it had to be a tough night for the Australian crowd. Um, you know, similarly to for for Mark Hunt, uh, he didn't ex- it didn't experience the same problems on the ground or didn't have to experience the same problems on the ground against someone like Justin Willis. But it just seems like he was outsmarted in this fight. Uh, Justin Willis was using all the right weapons, uh, did a good job of moving his feet, never allowed it uh, to be a brawl at all, which would have obviously favored uh, the legend Mark Hunt. But uh, I thought it was a nice, uh, smart performance from Justin Willis. And and, and that's the other thing. I think with some of the fighters like a Tai Tuivasa, Tyson Pedro, they lack the experience and the understanding to know what to do in, the, in that fight. And you look yeah. at the guys that they went against, they had a decent amount of experience uh, aside from Justin Willis. So um, I, I think with, with the right adjustments, uh, they could have been back. But obviously for Mark Hunt, that was most likely uh, his last fight in the UFC. And um, yeah. it must have been tough uh, going out like that. Justin Willis going in the other direction, and I think really a disciplined performance for him. He set himself up for a big yeah. fight of some kind next. It's kind of nice. I was, I, I was able to see Ryan Hall there on the mantle, a picture of Ryan Hall and his significant other, but you changed the camera lens, so I'm no longer distracted by the beauty of Ryan Hall. Uh, all right, also on this main card in Adelaide, sort of a lot on the bone here, Anthony Rocco Martin Kenny. Serious submission skills on this kid. The Anaconda applied beautifully as he gets the better of Jake Matthews. Close fight on paper. It goes to the streaking American Anthony Rocco Martin. I'm excited to see where he can go at welterweight. No longer cutting the weight. This was a huge performance for him on the road, I thought. I I thought so as well. Um, And he did it against Jake Matthews, who's kind of known for his ground game as well, or at least was uh, touted as uh, a solid uh, submission guy. So the fact that he was able to hit this submission – 
um, and did it from a very good position. I, I thought was very impressive. This kid Martin it came in very, very confident. I think he seemed to, to be a little bit too emotional in this fight, as did Jake Matthews. Uh, both these guys still a little bit young in the game, I guess, and uh, they really wanted to go after each other. It took them a little while to settle down, in my opinion, but in the end, it was uh, Rocco, Rocco Martin uh, getting it done, uh, wrapping up that uh, and from guard, rolling him right in the side control and getting the finish, putting Jake Matthews to sleep. And how about the referee? The referee seemed like he was asleep uh, during that time, was not at the proper angle. I thought Jake Matthews uh, could have been saved from being asleep for, for that amount of time. Um, the referee should have hopped in there a little bit earlier, uh, but he wasn't even at the right angle, wasn't even aware of what was going on. And he just seemed to be clueless as to what was going on in the grappling realm. Uh, and that's inexcusable uh, for a high-level referee in the UFC. Yeah, I think his name is Jim Perdios, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He has a kickboxing mm-hmm. background as a coach, uh, if social media is accurate. But, right, how about a touch more urgency trying to get in a better spot to see if Jake Matthews is asleep as he was, right? I mean, I just think it's easy for someone like me, non-fighter, not a lifelong martial artist, to sit on my couch and say that, right? But I feel like I've also been watching the sport long enough to know that in that situation – Get a better angle for yourself and do it quickly, right? There's no time to sort of lollygag around to the other side. You know, fire in your ass, get to the other side, and let's let's get Jake Matthews on the road to waking up, you know? I mean, and the, the, the limb was clearly limp, right? I mean, the arm, his left arm or whatever was clearly limp under his body, so. Uh, 100%. If you see someone at least attacking the neck, run around to the other side. And, and he didn't even do that uh, when, when Rocco... Uh, had that head of Jake Matthews, so uh, that was unfortunate. I thought there were a lot of fights, too, on Saturday night, and even Friday night, I think, if memory serves, in which there was a fighter still intelligently defending themselves, and the fight was stopped prematurely, and I'm usually in favor of the early stoppages, but again, I, I didn't think it was a great weekend for the referees, and I say that with all due respect to all the men and women who do that very difficult job, but I, I don't know. Didn't think it was a great weekend for the Zebras, my man. Uh, I agree, man. I, I do agree. I think that um, a couple people on the Internet were saying, well, you know, they had to fight back. They weren't fighting back. It's about defending yourself intelligently. And a lot of these fights that were stopped, um, I'm in the same camp, man. I, I would like to see uh, a, a guy stop it a little bit earlier if they are in trouble. But a few of those, it didn't seem like those shots were really landing. And it seemed like they were trying to defend themselves. They were defending themselves well. Um, and the referees went in there and stopped the fight a little bit too early for my liking. So uh, unfortunate for those guys. But, um, yeah, I thought the referees weren't so great this weekend. Fighters were, though. Thankfully, they were. Sadiq Youssef with a big win. And, and I know my, my, my Jimmy Crute tweet did not get the retweet from Ken Flo. But I do love me some Jimmy Crute. I know there's work to be done, but I liked him on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. And nice for him to get a late finish there uh, yeah. against uh, Bear Jew Paul Craig. Support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make, but today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. Well, that's why Quicken Loans created their power buying process. So here's how it works. They check your income assets and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then once you have found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, 
you get to keep that new lower rate. So either way you win, it's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. So to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash anik, rocketmortgage.com slash A-N-I-K. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, that's a mouthful. Let's get to Ray Long. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny <laughs> Florian Podcast. And the great Hello. Ray Longo. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, that's good. I'm glad <laughs> you're... Yeah, wait, first I'm glad off, you're... Yeah, go ahead. I'm glad you're in a decent mood as we do the triple Skype thing today and we kept you waiting about a half hour uh, man, are we going to get a haircut? Jesus, Ray. Uh, no, for 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 the, the fight, I'm going to get a haircut. But uh, I just want to say one thing, John. If you want Penny to retweet anything, you better be talking about BattleBots. That's the only thing he's going to retweet. <laughs> are you kidding? You uh, think he's going to retweet a fight a fight analysis? That's right. That's, that is that is a good call. I think i got to talk about robots fighting, and then I'll get that, oh, uh, get that yeah, yeah. push on Twitter. So... <laughs> yeah, you got to earn those retweets. I get it. So, I mean, I'm very distracted by your hair. I'm not going to lie to you. No, I'm totally on, thrown Hold on off. a second. <laughs> I mean, I know we got a lot of a lot of audio-only people who, who don't love this content, but Longo's hair is going every which way. I mean, over the years. So, all right, we'll clean it up for the Ally Quinta fight. And speaking of which, in eight days, you are headed to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where it is freezing. And in tow, you will have Raging Ally Quinta for this rematch with Kevin Lee as we usher out the UFC on Fox era. This is big, man. You know I'm excited for this fight, not just for you, but for Al and for Kevin and everybody else. Talk to me, man. Eight days out. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'm, uh, he had a great training session uh, last night. Matter of fact, uh, the last couple of days have been phenomenal. Uh, that's going to be a great fight. Right now, he's in the he's in the right spot. I, I, I wish the fight was this week. So, in terms of the first fight being of use to you, it was all the way back at UFC 169. 169. When was the last time you threw on that first fight between Kevin and Al? No, I watched it just to, uh, you know, we watched to see a couple of things. That was a that was about a month ago, six weeks ago. All right, Ray Longo, pretty tight hey. here today, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, how, how, I thought we were beating. Well, we beating the crap out of the referees and judges today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we could always do that. Hey, right. uh, listen, what, what kind of an improvement do you think Kevin Lee has made since their first fight? Look, I'm going to say. Are you preparing for a different guy? Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. Listen, yeah, he fought. Uh, what did he fight? Ferguson for the interim title. Uh, he's got a lot of confidence. He fought a lot of good guys that uh, he was in there with. So, you know, the better people that you fought, the better you're going to, you know, you're going to get. So, um, you know, so, yeah, he's a, he's a different person just based on who he's been in that, who he shared that octagon with. So he's seen a lot of different looks. Um, he feels he should have won the first fight. So he's going to be very confident. And uh, he's going to he, he's going to get his wish. This is what he wanted for the last couple of years, so I hope he comes prepared. So when Al fought in April, he was training for Paul Felder. He was training for three rounds. Instead, he fights 
the most dominant force in the game, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and he does so for 25 minutes. Now this fight's scheduled for 25 minutes. You're the cardio king. I mean, what is different in terms of the conditioning component to that training camp versus this one that you've just gone through? Well, I mean, you just said it. This, this time he actually trained for five rounds. And to give Al credit, he trained for three rounds and went five rounds with a killer. So, yeah. I mean, just give him the extra work. Look, he loves to fight. He's gonna be. He's not gonna have trouble with twenty-five minutes. Yeah, no, I yeah, I don't worry about Al on that front. So it was a huge combat sports weekend, as we sort of said off the top. Ray, there were twenty-five UFC fights. You had Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury in the boxing world. What were you watching this weekend? How many of those twenty-five UFC fights did you actually get your eyes on? I'm gonna say I saw like eighteen of the fights, and I saw the yes. Wilder fight. I did see the Wilder. Uh, Fury fight. All right, so talk me through Wilder and Fury, and then we'll get to the UFC stuff. Hey, look, great, great fight for the fans. Uh, whoever scored that fight uh, for Wilder, like one fifteen to one eleven, should be shot. Uh, if you <laughs> Unbelievable. Go, if you, Unbelievable. Yeah, if you go, if you go round by, if, if you go round by round, I mean, Fury was picking them apart, making them miss. Easy fight to score, uh, but it gets. Tr- it gets tricky because he did drop him, and uh, and let me let me just give uh, give a shout out to that referee for not stopping the fight when he went down because I never thought he'd get up, Kenny. I got to tell you, right. I never thought he was getting up, and not only did he get up, he went on to really win the remainder of the round. Yeah. So I mean, I haven't seen anything like that. I mean, look, you know, this is he what I don't out. like about it. I mean, how does a guy go from being completely laid out, like it's a crime scene, to getting up and then crazy. going out and winning the rest crazy. of the round? It was crazy. If you, if, you, if you put that in a movie, they'd be calling bullshit. Crazy. And that's what I don't like. He didn't get rewarded for that effort. You know, it's like, it's like Marab. He didn't want to tap. He wanted to win that fight. He knew he was winning that fight. And they still fucked him. And Tyson... And Tyson Fury got fucked. It's disguised a little bit because he got knocked down in two rounds, and one was pretty brutal. But he got up to win the remainder of that round. Seems yeah. like a real classic guy, too. Couldn't have handled everything that happened after the fact any better. Un- unbelievable. All right, so in terms of the UFC stuff, we haven't yet touched on Kamaru Usman, and it's too bad there's not more shine on this guy, but when you have a, a bigger UFC fight night, essentially the night after, right, you do get lost in the shuffle. Shuffle. You had Wilder and Fury, obviously, but, I mean, what else can you say about this guy? Everybody the UFC has put in front of him, he has dominated. A lot of 30-24s and 30-25s in his, in his past, and, and obviously a 50-43, I believe, on this night against Rafael Dos Anjos. Any thoughts for me on the Nigerian nightmare, Kamaru Usman. I got to tell you, I think I, I told, I think I, I, I saw Kamaru about a year ago. I think he's the guy to, to look at. He he deserves the shot, and uh, that's a dominant performance against a tough guy. And he's, like, again, anybody they put in front of him, he's, he's come through with flying colors. So he's the guy to watch. I think he's really good. All right, last thing before I try to get some predictions on the two title fights this weekend, Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, Valentina Shevchenko, Ioana Jacek. So there continue to be these rumors and now reports of a potential 165-pound division in the UFC. I think Josh Thompson, uh, former UFC fighter, now commentator, BJPenn.com's Chris Taylor, I think reporting some of these rumors as well. 
um, that welterweight would then be 175 pounds, and the UFC, in theory, would replace the flyweights with a 165-pound division. Now, here's our Ally Quinta, a guy who, who largely fights at his natural weight. What do you think about the possibility of a 165-pound division in the UFC? And a guy like Kevin Lee, who almost assuredly would move up as soon as that division was realized. No, I like it. I like the 165. I like the separation of 10 pounds. Uh, you know, Al, I think, would be perfect at 150. You know what I mean? I think that would be 145 is too much, but right, he makes right. 55 pretty easy. So, you know, yeah, not that he's he a guy fight at 65, but I think, you know, I always thought 150 would be the best weight class for him. All right. Well, I cannot wait to see you in Milwaukee, Wisconsin with a fat check in my hand for you. Total, You can add to that total right now. Last week I gave you the option to pick fights. This week there is no choice in the matter. We need predictions. It is a pay-per-view. UFC 231, Holloway versus Ortega. Max Holloway, slight favorite right now against Brian Ortega. Valentina Shevchenko, 3-1 to one favorite against Joanna Yonjacek. You can win 50 bucks on either of these fights, both of these fights. I need something out of you this week. Who do you like in Toronto? Uh, humana, 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 humana. Oh, come on, man. Uh, no, come I, on. I drive a bus. I mean, I drive a bus. Uh, <laughs> so, geez, Holloway, man. Ortega, you don't have even a lean for me? I mean, this is I'm going to say this. I'm going to go with uh, somebody said, I look, I like I like Holloway. I like Ortega. I like them both. I'm going to have to go with Ortega. Uh, only because somebody told me. Holloway didn't sound good in a couple interviews, so I'm kind of worried about him that in that respect. So okay. I think I'm going to go with uh, – I hope he's healthy, and I hope he makes it to the fight healthy. And, uh, you know, whatever. I, I think I'm going to go with Ortega on this. All right, Brian T. City, Ortega, the lean from Ray Longo. All right, my yeah. man, look forward to seeing you soon. We will talk to you next Monday uh, as your fight week begins. Thank you for the time. Sorry about the delay, and uh, no. we'll let you get back to it, my man. No, with you, with you two guys, there's no such thing as a delay. There's no yeah. such thing. Yeah. There's well, no I in team. Are you kidding? <laughs> hey, thanks, man. Go get that Ray Longo minute sold. Can you go get All that right. segment sold already? Uh, we you. got that We got that going. I just hope we have a show. I think I I'm going to sell it. There'll be no we... show. Right. This guy will be riding around a, on actual... a battle bot. I don't know. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> we got a, a real in Kenny, I think, at this point. I think I think that's accurate. Oh, You're on. right. Maybe maybe we should find a home for the <laughs> podcast before we get the Ray Longo minutes sold. All right, man. Thank cool. you. Uh, we'll talk to you in seven days. All right. Take it easy, guys. Bye. All right. There he is, Ray Longo, every week here on the <laughs> Anakin Forum podcast. Maybe. So this 165-pound division, I think all of us can agree that with the depth at 55 and 70, given the fact that those two divisions have for as long as I can remember, uh, with respect to the featherweights and the middleweights, but 55 and 70 have been ubiquitously regarded as the deepest and best UFC divisions. So to have that 15-pound gap in between those two divisions just didn't make a lot of sense. And I think in 2018, I don't know if we're getting the cart before the horse, if that's the expression, but you know, maybe the promotion sort of thinks, man, we have all this talent. Maybe it makes more sense to do that there. Uh, as opposed to having a flyweight division, Kenny. Uh, I know this hits close to home as a guy who competed, you know, below and above 165 pounds. What do you think about the possibility of of a 165 pound division in the UFC? You know, come January, essentially, if the if the rumors have any legs. John, I think 
I've been talking about this since uh, our MMA live days. You know, I, wow. I always thought that, uh, you know, the weight classes should be separated by 10 pounds, uh, especially now in an era we, where we have so many 155 pounders and 170 pounders. And I think for the UFC, if it seems like they're going the route of let's make the biggest fight possible. Let's put as many uh, championship belts on the line for, for posters as we can. Well, there's another weight class for for you. I, I mean, if they're doing it for women, they're adding 145-pound weight class, 125-pound weight class. Why not add one at 165 pounds? And and furthermore, I think you could make one at, at 195 pounds. Um, I think it should go 205 195, 185, 175, 165, all the way down by 10 pounds. I think uh, that's something that the UFC can sustain. Um, and I think it makes uh, sense from a business perspective as well. I think the, the type A guy in me wouldn't mind seeing that natural progression of every 10 pounds. I'm not sure, given where the light heavyweight top 15 is, that there's much of an appetite or at least a, a talent base for 195, but I could certainly be wrong there. Um, but in terms of the flyweights being killed, right, that would fly in the face of some of the argument to have these championship belts, right? I mean, there's enough talent at flyweight, in my opinion, to sustain a division. So if you're introducing 65ers, and again, this is just a rumor as we sit here on Monday, December 3rd, but I don't know that you need to kill the 25ers. So despite what we've heard, despite the fact that a lot of flyweights seemingly have lost their contracts, I'm just... I'm not sure we can just simply bury the flyweight division yet, um, but I guess we'll find out. We'll get some answers coming up uh, at UFC 233 in Anaheim when TJ Dillashaw or Henry Cejudo uh, has his hand raised after that. All right, we're going to get to our guest picker here in 60 seconds, Kenny, but i got to get something from you on Kamaru Usman. 9-0 and in the UFC. I still want to see Tyron Woodley face Colby Covington. Covington won an interim championship. I think that needs to be recognized and acknowledged, even though he couldn't make that September 8th date that Darren Till was able to make. I still think Woodley-Covington is the fight. I also think Usman now at this point should wait for a title fight like Tyron Woodley did back in the day when he felt like he had gotten the win to get there. What do you think about Usman's win and what it does for him in terms of this packing order at 170 pounds? Uh, I think Kamaru Usman is an absolute savage. Um, I think for anyone who had any doubts about Kamaru, uh, I think uh, all those are, are, are put to rest after that performance against uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. He went out there uh, and I thought won every single round and did it pretty easily. There was no point where I thought he was in trouble. Um, maybe with that uh, Kimura from, from the bottom uh, that Dos Anjos had. But other than that, it was all Kamaru Usman all the time. Uh, and RDA is a fighter that I really respect. He brings in a lot of skills and a lot of experience. But Kamaru Usman, I thought, did everything he, need, he needed to do to get that next title shot. Now, Kobe Covington, obviously, I think deserves it. I think that's a very marketable fight. I think that's a fight where Tyron Woodley could, could make some decent money. Uh, but I have no problem with Kamaru Usman slipping in there as well. Uh, yeah. I, I know that uh, Dana mentioned that, obviously, when we asked him about that on the show. Uh, and he thought that Kamaru Usman might get that next shot over Colby. Yeah. So I don't know if there's negotiations going on with Colby that uh, need to be resolved or whatever, but uh, either way, I think you have two very good options at 170 pounds for Tyron Woodley. Yeah, good problem to have for, for Tyron Woodley and for the UFC. And let's also not forget that Kamar Usman didn't make the championship weight back in September in a backup scenario in case Woodley or Till fell out. So that's another feather in the cap of the oncoming Kamar Usman. 
All right, did our best to sort of try to touch on any number of different things, but we got a huge weekend coming up as the UFC returns to pay-per-view for the first time in a month. To that end, we make some picks. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Well, don't look now, folks, but here comes Team Florian. It was 135, 124 going into the weekend, and things have tightened up further, folks. Ken Flo wins a third consecutive week, 6-3 over Odd Sharks' Justin Hartling. It is 138 to 130 with three live UFC shows to go in 2018. So if Kenny does not feel like doing a power hour, on the air early 2019 you might have to take some chances with some opposite picks today that's why we will have our guest picker go first and our guest picker today making picks for team anik longtime listener from chicago illinois he's got something to prove today against the flow frank ardita was with us frank good afternoon sir how are you hey what's going on fellas doing good how are you feeling super grateful to be here it's a pleasure to have you my man did i pronounce that right frank ardito you, you pronounced it perfectly you're really good with those last names you got well, it all in, man. I appreciate that. Well, we're happy to have you, and happy to have you because you could essentially ice this thing for my squad if you can have a good week here. It is UFC 231, Holloway v. Ortega. First fight for us, fellas, the featured prelim on FS1. Claudia Gedalia, 3-1 to one favorite, minus 300 against Nina Ansaroff, who is plus 240. Frank, this is the biggest career spot to date for Nina Ansaroff. How do you think she does against Gedalia? So I think it's a very... There's a vast, uh, there's, excuse me, <clears throat> um, Nina Ansaroth, I feel like, is a good fighter, but is she good enough to take on the challenge that is Claudia Gedalia? Um, you know, I think they're really, they could be throwing her to the wolves right now, despite her recent four-fight win streak um, and training with the likes of Amanda Nunez. Um, but I think that Claudia's veteranship and just, I don't know how much time she spent in the octagon really is going to do her well for this fight. And um, I don't, I, I just don't see a good way that Nina Ansaroff can win this fight. So I'm going to go with Claudia Gedalia. Ken Flo, Nina Ansaroff's won three in a row. I thought she looked really strong against Randa Marcos and Angela Hill. And at least in terms of where she is in her career, this fight is happening at the right time. She is entering her fighting prime. A lot of confidence, obviously, with her significant other, Amanda Nunes, and everything she's done. Um, but Gedalia obviously is no picnic competed in the first strawweight fight in UFC history that we call back in 2014. What do you think about Gedalia and answer off this weekend? Well, listen, uh, um, I think under normal circumstances, I would probably pick Claudia Gedalia. Why? I think she, uh, has very good wrestling. I think she's very good on the ground as well. Uh, I think she's probably the superior striker as far as putting together, uh, solid combinations. Now, Nina, is awkward on the feet. I mean, she has an interesting rhythm, and she can throw a lot of women off in that division. I actually think Nina might be better on the ground than Claudia Gedalia. I do need points. Um, I think Nina is going to surprise people as well, regardless, win or lose. But uh, I'm going to go with Nina Ansaroff here for the win. And I think it's smart, especially given the standings, because Nina Ansaroff at plus 240, if she wins, you get an additional two points, which could be a three-pointer. I'm starting to get a little bit nervous here that uh, this power hour might be mine. 
All right, Tiago Santos, Jimmy Manawa. This is the main card opener on pay-per-view at light heavyweight. So for Tiago Mahetta Santos, first 15 UFC fights were at middleweight. Last one, though, was at light heavyweight. Couldn't have gone much better. Stoppage of your boy Eric Anders. He is the betting favorite here, minus 195 against the division staple Jimmy Manawa, who comes back as a plus 165 underdog. Frank, talk to me here. Jimmy Manawa, Tiago Santos, who do you like? So it's no surprise that Thiago Santos has been on a chair lately with that minor setback against David Branch. And if I'm being honest, I think Thiago is probably one of the scariest dudes in the UFC. I want nothing to do with that guy. If I had to make this pick before Manuel fought Ozdemir, I'd probably be leaning towards uh, Jimmy in this fight. However, I think that uh, Thiago will do a good job keeping Manuel at distance, at range with those crazy kicks that he's got. And uh, I anticipate Santos, <clears throat> excuse me, We'll go on to have three wins in a row. Ken Flo, Frank mentioned that little hiccup against David Branch for Tiago Santos. Otherwise, he has been on an absolute tear for two years. He's won six of seven overall, five of those by knockout. He's 34 years old. Jimmy Manoa, a little longer in the tooth. He's 38. Big fight here at 205. How do you see it playing out? Uh, listen, both these guys are extremely dangerous and, and kind of similar in the way they approach the game. Um, I, I think that Santos is probably a little bit more dangerous with his kicking game, Manoa more dangerous with his hands. Now, I think that's where Santos gets caught, um, is on the feet uh, with the hands. I think Manoa has a little bit of a speed advantage there. I think Manoa really needs a win. He's going to come out here motivated. Um, at 205 pounds, uh, the landscape can change very quickly, as you said earlier, John. I think Manoa gets the win here. Uh, again, I need some points. Let's go with the underdog. I like it. No, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. Um, also on this main card, strong main card, by the way, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada this weekend. This fight at featherweight, the Canadian Hakeem Dawadu, minus 180, taking on the Boston, Massachusetts product, Kyle Bokniak. Bokniak, the plus 165 underdog Saturday night. Uh, Frank, floor is yours, my man. Hakeem Dawadu, Kyle Bokniak, who will it be? So despite Kyle Bokniak being the underdog in this fight, I mean, his last fight against Magomed Sharipov is one of my all-time favorite fights to watch. I think I've watched it maybe four or five times now at this point, and um, it's really hard for me to pick against him. Uh, even though that Hakeem is favored to win, um, I don't think that Kyle Bokniak is that great of an underdog. I can see this fight going either way, but I think since Kyle has never lost two fights back-to-back. -back. I just don't see him losing this next fight, so I'm going to take uh, Bokniak for the win. Yeah, Kempfel, a lot of people are liking Kyle Bokniak as an underdog in this spot. What do you think about the, the Boston native here against a very talented on the feet, Hakeem Dawadu? Listen, I, I think Frank's right here. I, I actually, I'm going to go with Bokniak as well. Listen, I, I think Hakeem moves very well. I think he's a very capable striker. I think he's very dangerous. I just think that Kyle is going to be a little bit too durable. And when things get nasty, I think Kyle will still be there uh, getting the win. All right, next up, what a fight this is going to be at welterweight. Gunnar Nelson, minus 150, the favorite, making his return here for the first time in a long time against a guy that that some people love to hate, Alex Cowboy Oliveira. He's just trying to have a good time, folks. You know, everybody banging on Cowboy Oliveira. He's the plus-120 underdog here against Gunny Nelson, Frank. Big fight at 170 pounds. Which way do you see it going? I think at this point it's going to be how much did the time off really affect Gunnar Nelson uh, after not being in the octagon for so long. And you look at Oliveira, he's fought three times this year, so he's got he's definitely got the familiarity of the octagon going on. And I think he might just have the Kitch chops on the ground to really keep Gunnar Nelson from doing what he wants to do on the ground. Um, 
I could honestly see this fight going either way, but I'm going to have to pick the underdog, Cowboy Oliveira, um, to walk away with the win here. And I think Kenny's going to like that because I'd imagine he likes Gunnar Nelson here. Oliveira has been an absolute workhorse, by the way, and deserves credit for it. 14th UFC start, 9-3 with a no contest, so the results have been there as well. Only one loss for Cowboy spanning his last eight. And, of course, the Gunnar Nelson layoff dates to July 2017. Two of his three UFC losses were in his only two main events against Rick Story and most recently Santiago Ponzinibbio. Three-round fight here, Ken Flo. Gunnar Nelson, Cowboy Oliveira. Are you going to pick against Gunny in Ryan Hall's living room? You can't do that. <laughs> no, I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to go with Gooney. Gooney Nelson. Have you seen a picture of this guy recently? I know, guy bro. Doesn't look, doesn't look like the picture we're seeing in front of us right now. I'll tell you that. Dude, he looks like he's ready to rock. He looks like an absolute savage. Now, Alex Oliveira is a savage as well. I think he's another one of those guys that when things get nasty, he's going to be right there trying to kill you. Um, I think he's very dangerous, especially in the clinch. He hits very hard, has very dangerous knees. But I think Gunnar Nelson's advantage on the ground is just going to be too great. I think Gunny takes him down, gets position, and gets a submission on Oliveira. And in terms of the physical transformation, if you're watching us on FoxSports.com or on YouTube, you saw an old graphic of Gunnar Nelson for Kenny's pick and for Frank's pick. But, man, you should see him. Just Google Gunnar Nelson and see the type of shape he's in and some of the muscle mass that he yeah. has added in advance of this one and probably needs it, taking on um, one of the more physically imposing welterweights in the division in Alex Oliveira. All right, co-main event for the vacant UFC Women's Flyweight Championship of the World. Valentina Shevchenko, minus 330, entrenched as the favorite against Ioana Jacek, the, minus, the plus 250 underdog. She'll try to become the first woman to win UFC titles in two different divisions. Enormous fight here, Frank. We need to know who wins it and how do they get it done. So I'm actually really excited about this fight. Um, my wife is from Poland, and we've been following Joanna's career for a super long time. And uh, my wife is absolutely enthralled with Joanna. Um, unfortunately, though, I don't think she's going to be happy with me after I make my pick because, uh -huh. um, look, Valentina's been wanting this belt. She's been eyeing it down for almost, I don't know, I think this is the third time now that she should have been fighting for this belt. So she's been looking for this opportunity. She's been preparing for it all year. Um, Yoan is going up in weight to fight someone who's already beat her three times in kickboxing. So I, I don't know, I, I'm not a fighter. I can't speak to the mind of what it's like to be beaten three times, but I almost feel like Yoana's kind of got a handicap coming into this fight, knowing that Valentina three times, I know kickboxing is different than MMA, but... I wonder if there's like a mental thing that's going to be in Joanna's head preventing her from, you know, performing at her best. <laughs> Last point, um, Joanna knows what it's like to be a champion, whereas Valentina really hasn't had that UFC gold. So I think there might be a little bit more of a fire under Shevchenko. I see Joanna um, being mobile. I don't think Valentina's going to be able to knock her out or get the submission, but I think it's going to go the distance. And I think at the end, the ref is going to be raising Valentina's hand. All right, Frank likes Valentina Shevchenko to leave Toronto as the UFC women's flyweight champion. So, you know, Jacek essentially got this fight early September, almost before Nico Montano had left the hospital. The wheels were in motion for this matchup. There's obviously a history there, Kenny. If you're looking for advantages for Yeon Jacek, perhaps it's the UFC championship experience. This is going to be her ninth yeah. UFC title fight. I know Shevchenko's been in a lot of big spots headlining on Fox, but it's only her second championship fight. Vegas has her as a big favorite here. Kenny, how do you see it playing out? 
John, I would say not only the championship experience, but also her high-volume style. That's how you're going to beat Valentina Shevchenko. I thought that was the difference uh, in Shevchenko's fight against Amanda Nunes. Nunes was just throwing more strikes. She was staying busier. Yuana Young-Jacek absolutely has the ability to win this fight. Um, if she stays busy and if she stays, um, if she gets off to a good start as well. I think the other thing that we're not taking into consideration is the fact that you want a young JTEC at 125 pounds will bring more strength and more energy in that fight and hopefully bring more confidence uh, as well. Now, for Shevchenko, she does have the mental advantage having beaten uh, Ioana. She's experienced that style before, and obviously it was in kickboxing, but are we trying to pretend that Ioana young Jacek is going to try to take this fight to the ground? I don't think so. Uh, I do think Shevchenko, um, while she probably will get off to a slow start, she will heat up and uh, pull off a decision win here against Ioana young Jacek. Valentina Shevchenko, for my money, one of the best fighters, man or woman, on this UFC roster who has yet to realize the UFC championship, and a lot of people think that she will end that drought and get it done this weekend. All right, Frank, finally, main event for the UFC featherweight championship, about as close as can be on paper. Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, pick em fight according to us, minus 115 on both sides. Who wins the UFC featherweight championship fight, and how do they get it done? This is a super crazy fight, man. I've been so excited to see this go down oh, yeah. for so long now. And uh, now they're finally going to do it, uh, hoping that Max actually you know, makes it to this scale and we get to see this on Saturday. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood doing all of that shit to make sure that we get to see this go down. Huh. Really, man, I, I think it's a coin flip. I think that if you, know, if you say you know what's going to happen in this fight, you're wrong. But it's going to be one of those things where afterwards, in hindsight, when we look back at it, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, duh. Like, that made sense, kind of like with uh, Connor and Khabib. Um, so with Max's you know, UFC, or not, with Max's championship reign at featherweight, you know, you think about who, who's fought, and that's Jose Aldo that's had his soul removed by Conor McGregor. Maybe, maybe not. You know, he's had some promising performances after that Conor fight, but I think that Max really hasn't been tried to the extent of, of Ryan Ortega. And similarly, Ortega hasn't really been tried to the point of a Max Holloway. Um, they both bring amazing, um, techniques and skills to the octagon and honestly i i don't feel good about this pick but in every single every single time that ortega steps into that cage i've doubted him and i didn't think he'd be able to do it i think max holloway is an amazing champion i think he's a great person but i think that ortega is going to get it done in the second round um submission victory brian ortega all right, Frank Ardito going with Brian Ortega by round two submission. Frank, good stuff, man. Appreciate you listening. Thanks for your time today, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate the opportunity. Our pleasure. There he is, Frank Ardito, representing Chicago, Illinois. All right, let's get into this a little bit, Ken Flo. Max Holloway, Brian Ortega. I cannot wait to get to Toronto. Holloway has won 12 in a row. I'm a little bit worried about the fight before the fight for Max, right? I'd be lying if I didn't say that I'd have a clearer picture on Friday night. Um, but as for the backdrop on this fight, if you don't know, you know, Brian Ortega was very bothered as to how things went down in July when they were supposed to fight. It was UFC 226, three days out, July 4th, Holloway diagnosed with concussion-like symptoms. Fight was canceled, but 
Jeremy Stevens and others were called to fight Brian Ortega, and Ortega didn't want to accept that fight. And I think in hindsight, you can say that was a wise choice because not only is he getting a shot here, Kenny, for the undisputed UFC featherweight championship, but he has language in the contract now so that if Hanato Moicano is the opponent this weekend, he's still competing for that undisputed UFC championship. All of that being said, Max Holloway hasn't lost a fight in a very long time. We all think it's going to take a special effort to dethrone the champion close fight on paper Ken Flo how do you have it all right John so listen I, I have been doubting Ortega as well I, I think he's an amazing champ uh, amazing fighter I think his ability to stay composed throughout a fight uh, is just amazing and that's probably uh, the best thing that he brings into the octagon on fight night um, I do think he has the submission advantage I do think he probably hits a little bit harder than Max Holloway but I think as the full package Max Holloway puts together the better combination I think Ortega does get hurt sometimes in fight fights early. I think Holloway, with his experience, just he's not going to make those mistakes down the line. Uh, I think Holloway wins this by TKO in round four. And I think that might end up being a sharp side, right? Because I think that people are going to bet Brian Ortega. I think because of the Frankie Edgar knockout, because of the undefeated record, and because of some concerns about Max Holloway, I wouldn't be surprised to see Brian Ortega actually close as a betting favorite here, even though at least on my side, Holloway is slightly favored right now. But I think that's interesting, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it go Max's way. Very close fight. Can't wait to call it. Can't wait to see it. And very quickly, in terms of this 2008 main event challenge, right? So the punishment is, is a power hour, right? But I saw how how you reacted when Daniel Cormier did a shoey, right? <coughs> so I part of me is inclined to make you do a shoey if you lose, but I'm not going to do that because a power hour is just so much more bang for your buck, right? Don't, I want 60 <laughs> minutes. I don't want you slamming one shoey without spitting it oh, out of your man. shoe, which is probably very clean, and then the whole punishment's over in a minute. Uh, you know, I had to right. put down a, a Vegemite sandwich. I think I'm going to milk this into a, into a full power hour. Uh, honestly, the power hour would be more difficult probably for me. But, man, what a wimp I am on UFC. So did you see that? It just no, it said no to the shoey. I mean, uh, yeah, I got to I gotta work on my, on my manly. Well, well, the only thing I'd say in your defense is you have, you know, a 9-, 10-month-old at home. I, you know, I don't think the pediatrician would be advocating for her father to start drinking out of shoes. You know, bring a bunch of germs back to Venice. You don't need to be bringing the germs back to Venice. Oh, may, God. May RockyBJJ.com, by the way, still open despite the fact that Ken Flo is on the Beast Coast with Ryan Hall. Send Ryan our best. Yes. My favorite part of the podcast was when Ryan Hall's house cleaner came in behind you, unbeknownst to you, and started dusting off the mantle. <laughs> that was amazing. What am I going to do? Oh, yeah. What oh, are you yeah. going to do? But uh, we've had a lot of technical difficulties today, so we appreciate everybody hanging with us. Uh, hopefully, it can all get cleaned up, but we got to get the hell out of here. Ken Flo wants to go to bed, I bet, but got to go train and strategize. A little no-gi with Ryan Hall today, so uh, we wish you all the best with the that. Thank you. Next Monday, we will have a new episode out. We'll recap UFC 231, perhaps as many as two new UFC champions. SureDog.com's Jordan Breen going to be back on the show with us. And, of course, the final UFC fight night on Big Fox December 15. A lot of emotion tied to that show for a lot of us, so we'll preview that, get some predictions for Aya Quinta and Kevin Lee. A lot to get into in less than a week. Until then, for Ken Flom, John Anik, thank you all for listening. Enjoy UFC 231. Yo, later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. 
Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who will help build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.